Warning, this podcast contains spoilers for Moon Knight Episode 5, as well as theories for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, as well as some plot points from various comic book runs. Uh, check the show notes to see which ones that we potentially spoil for you. If you don't want to be spoiled by any of that stuff, read that stuff, watch the stuff first, then come back. Jason Concepcion, and welcome to X-Ray Vision, the crooked podcast where we dive deep into your favorite shows, movies, comics, and pop culture. In today's action-packed episode, in the previously on, we will talk about uh, lots of news that is hitting the internet waves uh, this week, including some uh, interesting news from the MCU out of CinemaCon uh, in the airlock. Our good friend Cody Ziegler joins us once again to talk about comics, talk about comics in general, what we're reading, and also get together uh, and kind of help us brainstorm a reading list of comics for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness in our nerd out. Uh, our listener tells us about Star Kid Productions. And of course, if you want to jump around, check out the timestamps in the show notes. Joining me right now is the walking comics genius, the writer of a Godzilla comic coming out soon. One of the best to ever do it. It's Rosie Knight. Rosie, how are you? Hello, I'm good. I'm good. How are you? <laughs> Doing good. <laughs> um, let's get into it. First up, and previously on, uh, shocking news. Batman sequel greenlit. I can't believe it. Uh, uh, with uh, director Matt Reeves and star Robert Pattinson returning. Of course, this uh, announcement has been made at CinemaCon, the uh, the ongoing uh, convention of upcoming uh, movie properties that is going on in Las Vegas right now. The movie, of course, has been a critical and commercial success, uh, having made the over $700 million on the trot right now. No surprises here, right, Rosie? No surprises here? No, especially I think it was very well received from all different kinds of people, people who love these movies, people who don't love them, yeah. people who love certain iterations of the DCU, people who love different ones. It was widely enjoyed, widely beloved. Robert was great. Matt did a great job. And they obviously, spoiler alert, introduced a very big, famous Batman antagonist. So I think this was always meant to happen. And yeah. then the critical and commercial love for it makes it easy to happen. I'm excited to see what happens next. I, I thought that movie was so great. Does Robert Pattinson's Batman become like the Batman in a shared DC universe? Or what do they do? I think Reeves' universe acts as a... A year one, year two, zero year ish yeah, I soft like that. reboot. I, like I that. think that in the major DCEU stuff that we still have going on, like, uh, for example, The Flash, which we know will probably introduce a new Justice League and, and kind of mainline characters, I think they're going to be looking for something a little bit different, a little bit younger. Also, with a Keaton returning, you could have someone like that as your main Batman who's more of a Batman beyond. Yeah. Uh, like era of, of Bruce rather than being the actual Batman Beyond. But um, so I I don't know. I think Matt's vision is so specific and unique. And I think they'll let them have a couple more movies before it becomes too entangled with the wider DCEU. Next up, Kevin Feige uh, is representing Marvel, of course, at CinemaCon. And there is some, some interesting news out of there. First of all, Feige told the audience that uh, – 
directly after the convention. He's going to a Marvel Studios creative retreat where they will work on the next decade of MCU work. This mirrors the famed Marvel retreats mm-hmm. that have been going on at least since the 2000s in in Marvel Comics universe. No surprise here, right? This is just kind of what you yeah. do. I think it's really interesting. I think we can guess the big hitters that they're going to be talking about. How do you bring in the Fantastic Four? How do you bring in the X-Men? Who's going to be the next Avengers team? What I'm very interested in is in the original iteration of the MCU, there was a story group that included comic book creators. Yeah. And that has since been, to our knowledge, kind of disbanded. Yeah. And I wonder if they're doing a retreat, we're going to see some kind of story group re-enlisted, whether it's comic book creators or people from the Marvel TV shows or a wider group of people. Because usually if you're having a retreat, that's a brainstorming session to break this stuff out. I think that means we could probably be getting a... Marvel likes to do those big days. They used to do them at the El Capitan where they announced them. Now they do them as these kind of Disney preview days where they tease stuff. I think we could be getting one of those in the next few months if this retreat is happening. Um, Some... Footage was apparently uh, showed to the gathered throngs, uh, sizzle reel footage that has been described as it's unclear if it's like a still or a few seconds of video, but it's been described as um, uh, Nakia, Shuri and Okoye involved in some kind of big battle. Uh, so that is very exciting. Uh, Marvel Studios uh, president Kevin Feige also promised that Ryan Coogler is working very hard on the sequel. No, no, no surprise there. Um, and of course, uh, around this movie, there have been rumors swirling for a while that we will uh, we will be introduced to some uh, Marvel Comics mainstays. Probably headliner among them is uh, Namor, the leader of Atlantis, King of Atlantis. And then, of course, uh, Riri Williams, the genius of the Marvel Universe, also known mm-hmm. as Ironheart, uh, uh, who will also be appearing in her own Disney Plus series. These are That's unconfirmed, but that's stuff people have been talking about for a while. Yeah. Much in the same way that they were talking about the Illuminati for months and months and months before it was very hard confirmed by uh, the recent Doctor Strange trailer. Uh, And speaking of Doctor Strange, Doctor Strange banned in Saudi Arabia uh, over Disney's decision to not cut about 12 seconds. Apparently, this is reported by The Guardian, 12 seconds from the film uh, that uh, deal with America Chavez, uh, played by uh, the actor uh, Sochil Gomez, uh, in which uh, America is discussing her two moms. Uh, So... I guess shouts to Disney for deciding not to cut that. Not a big deal. Also, that's probably the only gay thing in the movie. So prepare yourself. If that was what they asked to be cut, that's probably the the extent. I think we will all probably be surprised at how mild it is. And that yeah. is, what, yeah. Um, um, go ahead. It, it makes sense with her comic book canon. Yeah. She has queer mums. Utopian parallels, very gay. Yeah. So it's nice to know that they're sticking to that. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm intrigued. Good to see little things like refusing the cut like this. I hope there's something more, but we shall see. And then finally, new Doctor Strange trailer, probably the last new Doctor Strange stuff we're going to see, considering the movie comes out May 6th. And, uh, you know, it's a mishmash of cuts that we've already seen. But the important thing is we hear the word Illuminati spoken in this by Baron Mordo, leading us to question a lot of things, including like, man, how did Mordo get get his like 
ticket punch to Club Illuminati before uh, Stephen Strange. This is very interesting. Yeah, I mean, is it our universe's Mordo? Is this a Mordo who was the Sorcerer Great Supreme point. in a different universe? Is this a Mordo who has been enlisted by the Illuminati because for some reason they couldn't trust Strange and they needed someone to kind of be a counterpart? Is it a Baron Mordo who they need him to have more of that complex gray moral compass yeah. to do things that maybe Stephen wouldn't do? It's very interesting, and I think it is... I can't work out if it's a massive reveal or a massive misdirect that they mention it. I'm like, what does this mean for the Illuminati? Are they going to be a key part? Is this, do they know people are excited? I, it was, it got me excited. So it was. I I am extremely excited. And my, my gut feeling tells me that they're going to be like one scene and that's it. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know, it's going to be like a As soon as they said the name. Yeah. As soon as they said the name, I was like. That feels like we're going to see them for maybe one scene. But I'll be happy with the one scene. I will be very, very happy. Listen, if we see Patrick Stewart and that little that little shiny head of his uh, as Charles Xavier <laughs> up on that little Illuminati stage, I will be oh. very, very excited. Okay. Dude, the way that people responded in the theater when, like, you know, we saw Charlie Cox as Daredevil or we saw, you know, the Spider-Man come back. There's no, like, if it's going to be Charles, that's going to be 10,000 times louder in that theater. And I cannot wait. It's going to go absolutely crazy. Okay. Um, And by the way, stay tuned to X-Ray Vision for more Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness coverage. Uh, Okay, let's recap Moon Knight Episode 5, Asylum. Directed by Mohamed Diab, written by Rebecca Kirsch and Matthew Orton. This was a uh, just in terms of, like, performances this is a tour de force for oscar isaac uh at, we pick up right at the end of episode four where mark and stephen found themselves face to face with the egyptian uh god tarouette a hippo deity the hippo deity having said oh hi to the two men uh stephen and mark who are of course the same man uh leading them to scream leading the hippo to scream and we pick up right after that only uh mark is back in arthur harrow's office. Uh, and and uh, right before that, we have these little flashes of what we take to be like memories, right? We have uh, a child screaming in a dark place somewhere. We hear a, a woman saying, this is all your fault. And then Mark finds himself back in Arthur's office. Arthur mentions, Mark, you're in a mental hospital in Chicago uh, and your mind, uh, the reason you're here is because your mind keeps whipsawing between these like disconnected fantasies that you have created in order to deal with some kind of trauma. Let's get to the center of what that trauma is. Uh, Mark, are you ready? And Mark's like, I don't know because I don't believe that you're a real doctor. I think you're Arthur Harrow, the genocidal maniac who's trying to wake Amit. Uh, Arthur asks Mark to like, okay, so how did you get here? Do you remember that? And Mark admits, which I think is a big step for him, that, you know, listen, things are happening that are completely nonsensical. Um, uh, and I don't necessarily know how to put all the pieces together. Arthur wants Mark to talk more about the little boy that he was apparently mentioning before we pick up the scene uh, and before the hippo character diverted him, Mark grows violent. Uh, he like tries to fight with some orderlies. The orderlies manage to stick a needle in his neck. And next thing you know, he's back in front of Tarouette with Stephen. And Tarouette asks Stephen and Mark, uh, you know, is like, Mark, always oh, this intense? Tarouette then tells the two, guess what? Surprise, you're dead. Both of you are dead. <laughs> this is now our, our, our second real, like, interaction 
with people in a post-life plane, the ancestral plane from mm-hmm. uh, from Black Panther being the first time. But this is like our first extended time since then at a, a in a world that is post-life, leading to uh, a, a question of like, when do we see someone? When do we see someone resurrect? Because it's going to happen. I mean, it arguably is going to happen right here, but. I wonder if it happens with a major character at some point, Rosie. Of course, like our character, our friends yeah. in, in these stories have died and come back many, many times in the comics. I wonder when it happens in the main movies. I think we're close to it. And I think that this episode specifically leans into that because as we'll get to in a bit, we meet um, Mark's brother and the version that we see of him here is very different. But in the comics, that is a character who has died and been resurrected. And the idea of resurrection and the kind of shadow of it over this episode is is really there. So I think that could be something we see in Doctor Strange. We've seen versions of it in yeah. What If with the zombies. Yes. So yeah, it, it feels like they're they're bringing in these multiple levels of existence and past life in a way that's going to play into the future of the MCU. Tarawet then welcomes them uh, to Duat, uh, this place where souls uh, begin their journey to the afterlife. It is one of many places, such places, Tarawet mentions, much like the ancestral plane. Uh, and the reason they perceive this place as a mental hospital be- is because their minds, their human minds, can't possibly make sense of where they are. The uh, you know shades of of shades of Harry Potter, uh, book seven, but like can't uh, can't possibly understand where they are. Therefore, they're making it into a place that makes sense to them. Thus, the hospital. Mark then is like, I can't deal with this. I'm going to, I'm out of here. He throws open a pair of doors and he finds himself on the deck of this huge ship that is sailing across the sands of the underworld. And they're on their way to Aru, which is like the, the eternal paradise, the f- field of reeds, Tarawet says. She reaches into their chests and pulls out these little ivory hearts, little stone hearts, which she will then weigh in order to see if they're balanced, if they're, if the things that they've done throughout their lives have led to their their, uh, their deeds being balanced, and thus they are able to be admitted into the field of reeds. Uh, and if they're not found worthy, no big deal. They're just thrown over the side into the <laughs> sands where they are like torn apart <laughs> by the other unworthy souls who, who lurk there in the underworld. Uh, so not a big deal. Um, but here's a problem. The hearts that Tarawet removed, because they're from one person who has been split somehow, broken somehow, they're not whole, and thus uh, Stephen and Mark can't get into the underworld. Stephen and Mark need to reunite their fractured pieces of soul, pieces of heart, and balance the scales before they arrive at the Field of Reeds. Uh, quick note, this little line from Tarawet was a great, okay, here's the mission for the rest of the episode. Like, it's a, it, like, it was a great, here's what they're doing line. Um, if they fail... Again, no big deal. Their souls will just simply be destroyed. (laughs) Uh, Good news. Everything that they have ever experienced is on the ship. All their memories are on their ship. So it's time to go back inside this uh, faux mental hospital and just like learn about each other. Mark is very resistant. He doesn't want to do this. He and Steven are discussing it. And Steven's like, no, I think we should do this. This is a good idea. Like, we need to find out, like, what the secrets that you're hiding uh, are, what the secrets you've buried are. And Mark is like, I don't know. What if we, like, like attack Tarawet, the Egyptian god of women and children, and maybe, like, tie her up and take take the ship? 
Mark. Classic Mark. <laughs> Classic Mark. No, don't do that. Uh, Stephen says, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to do what she says. And then he then sees like a strange scene through a window and a door. He sees Moon Knight in action, kicking ass and through another window. He, uh, They see Stephen and Khonshu turning back the stars as Layla watches. Then they hear the boy again in, in some kind of terror. Uh they enter a cafeteria that is filled with dead bodies. And these apparently are all the people that Mark has killed over the course of his uh, of his service. Well, of the course of his life, including his service to Kanchu. And guess what? It's a lot of people, folks. It's a cafeteria. He killed a lot of people. And let's, <laughs> let's keep that in mind, because right. I have some thoughts about the end of this episode. It's, so let's keep in mind how many people Mark Spector killed. Mark, a, not even Mark. Mark. <laughs> it's a cafeteria worth of people. Like, it's legitimately a full cafeteria of people. Mark insists, that, listen, these were bad folks, as far as I know. Bad people marked by the vengeance of Khonshu were notably leaving out any of the people he killed as a mercenary. Okay, Uh, but interesting fact, once this uh, once this detail about Mark has been revealed, the scales, which had been Mm -hmm. kind of like going back and forth unbalanced, are now beginning to slow this process of revealing of working through these past memories is working. Uh, the, The child that they've been hearing now appears in the room. Uh, Stephen goes after him. Mark is like, don't do that. And Stephen uh, looks in a room of Mark's memories and discovers Mark. This boy is Mark as a boy. And we see Mark as a boy with his parents and his little brother. Mark's mom is telling Mark, listen, you've got young Mark. You've got to watch over your little brother. That's your job. That is your responsibility. The boys then go off through the woods down into a cave, which they are looking to explore. And a, a rainstorm, a flash thunderstorm happens and the, the, the cave quickly fills with water flooding and uh, Mark's brother dies. Our Mark then enters a memory of his family sitting shiva for his brother. Mark's mom, uh, Wendy, blames the death explicitly on Mark, like straight up is like, that's your yeah, fault. Yeah, it's your fault. Which is fucked up. Uh, Mark's father uh, remains over the course of time, we we would uh, surmise, close to Mark, but his mother is increasingly hateful, clearly depressed and, and, and vengeful, lashing out all the time. Uh, we see young Mark flee into his bedroom. Stephen tries to go and see what's going to go on in there, but... But Mark won't let him go see it. We get another memory of younger Mark, teenage Mark now, leaving home with his father, insisting, listen, your mother's going to get help. I know that she's in a bad way right now, very toxic, but like she's going to get help. You shouldn't leave. Mark then takes Stephen away from this memory. They end up in an even more troubling memory, dead bodies in the desert at night in front of the tomb of Khonshu. And this, of course, is the fateful night from Mark's mercenary days where he first makes the acquaintance of Khonshu. Uh, One of the dead there laying under the moon is Layla's dad. Whoops. Um, Mark, grievously wounded, is preparing to take his own life and then hears the voice of Khonshu. And Khonshu's like, hey, uh... Wow, you're a really fucked up person with a lot of uh, problems and I'm sensing, uh, you know, a fractured psyche. You're perfect. You're perfect for what I have in mind, which is you are my hands, my eyes, my vengeance, my final word against evildoers on Earth. Uh, So that's the deal. You serve me on Earth. I heal you. Uh, You go out and kill people for me or you die right here. And so Mark takes a deal. Kanshu, uh, you know, clearly a very exploitive person. Stephen points this out to Mark. Like, Kanshu 
was a asshole. Like Kanshu saw a mentally ill person who was bad and decided I can exploit this person. And yes, Mark says he did that, but he also kept us alive. And then suddenly the scales are balanced outside. In the duat, a storm is brewing. They go back up to the uh, to the deck of the ship, and Tarouette is like, you see all these purple things raining out from the sky? Guess what that is? That's people that Harrow is killing up in the real world, uh, just as he promised to do. Mark and Steven then ask Tarouette, okay, send us back. Like, we can stop him. Like, send us back to life. And, uh, and uh, before you do that, get a message to Layla to free Khonshu so that... You know, like when we go back into a body filled with bullets, uh, Kanshu can put the suit on us and heal us and we'll come back and we can and we can fight Arthur Harrow. Uh, Tarawit is like, that's a bad idea because you were both just coming to the place where you realize that Kanshu is like bad for you. Like Kanshu is like a bad uh, uh, a person to be involved with. But OK, like, I guess what choice do we have? She turns the boat around. Stephen wants to go back into that bedroom memory. Mark resists. Stephen says, listen, if all these people die because you won't let me see this memory, that's going to be your fault. If Layla dies, it's going to be your fault. All that stuff is going to be your fault. Now, of course, this is exactly the same thing that his mother, Mark's mother, said to him. Uh, and that was kind of the beginning of this of this mm-hmm. traumatic break. And it causes Mark to just crumble. He shatters. He finds himself back in Arthur Harrow's office. Arthur raises the possibility that Stephen was created by Mark to hide trauma, uh, which turns out to be very, very right. Harrow wants Mark to open up to Stephen so that Stephen can understand the things that Mark is hiding from Stephen, that Mark created Stephen to hide from himself. We go to the room, Mark's childhood room. And in there, uh, we see an appalling scene, Mark's mom abusing him physically. Stephen is appalled to discover that not only this terribly troubling, violent scene, but also that he kind of doesn't exist. Like he's not a quote unquote real person. He is a creation of Mark uh, created specifically to hide this trauma. Uh, and then now Stephen finds himself in Harrow's office. Harrow wants to call Stephen's mother on the phone to discuss this situation. And Stephen's like, ah, don't do that. Harrow then gets her on the phone and he's talking to her. Stephen realizes, wait, that can't be because Mark's mother is my mother and Mark's mother is dead. Therefore, she is dead. Therefore, all of my memories of having a great relationship with my mom and all these phone calls I was having with her from the museum and from my apartment, those are all fake. That's not real. We see then the memory of Mark at his outside his mother Shiva. They see the moment that Stephen took over from Mark outside, uh, outside the Shiva, and this is apparently only two months prior, which is wild. Stephen mm-hmm. then lets Mark know that uh, their brother's death was not his fault. And back on the ship, the unbalanced souls of the Duat begin to climb onto the deck. Mark and Stephen uh, fight them. The two fight together. Uh, but in the end, Stephen falls overboard and Mark's creation dies, thus balancing the scales. And Mark enters the, the, the field of reeds. Cue the credits. Rosie, your thoughts. Okay, so the, these, making shows about this stuff is very complex. And sometimes it's going to be for some people and sometimes it's not. The representation and way they chose to go for it in this episode didn't particularly work for me. And and a major part of it hangs on the final thing. So if you're deemed worthy to go through to the field of reeds due to judging your heart, 
How come Mark goes through when he's a mass murderer just because suddenly he doesn't have an alternative personality? That seems like not well thought out to me. It, it kind of like digs into some of the, the... I feel like this is a really ambitious episode, but I also feel like it could have been the third episode. And then we'd have three more episodes to explore it. That's kind of where my, my head is at. I felt the same way, although I will say this. Two, one, my guess is that the final episode will clear up whatever hanging threads we have, and that maybe the loophole here is that because Mark Spector became a mass murderer in the service of an Egyptian god, Kodshu. So like, yeah, you're not getting into the ancestral plane or Valhalla, <laughs> right? You know, but much like if Thor... As we all know, mm-hmm. young Thor, you know, back in the Viking days, yeah. took part in human battles, killed, we would surmise, many, 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 many people, many, many people in, in the in the uh, prosecution of various Viking wars, right, mm-hmm. that Odin uh, blessed as being fine. Therefore, he could enter, you know, like the, the uh, Asgardian afterlife, but maybe like the, uh, the, uh, the Egyptian afterlife would be close to him. Mm-hmm. Maybe in a similar way, that is why. It's not necessarily... It's very not, thoughtful. Right. It's I not, think that's very thoughtful, generous take, and I like it. It's not I'm necessarily... Gonna, I'm gonna hope that's right. okay. It's not necessarily Mark is a great guy. It's that like, <laughs> well, Khonshu who's one of us said, go ahead and do this. This is fine. Yeah, like, and therefore it's fine. Don't pay for his, right. his sins. So I think that narratively, if we get like the feelings are the feelings and it's all subjective and I'm sure there's loads of people that this really worked for. So narratively, I think the big thing when we talk about things to tie up, aside from potentially a little bit more about the altars, is Jake Lockley. So yeah. it, is Jake Lockley in this episode? There is a moment in Arthur Harrow's office where... Mark or Stephen wakes up and yep. he's got a slightly heavier Chicago accent. He's got a bandage across his nose and he immediately goes for violence. And yep. he's like, yeah, I feel great. Well done. Yes, good you, point. You're doing a great job. Is that Jake Lockley? Are we going to find out that Jake Lockley is that violent altar, third altar that's in there? Like, I think that for people who love Moon Knight comics or love Moon Knight as a character, I think that that final episode is going to need to lean in a little bit more to those different iterations. Because we've had that emotional Mark and Steven story here, even though it it does diverge quite a lot um, from the comics origin, we've had that kind of big emotional moment. So what will happen next? Because Mark is now alone. So does he go after Konshu? Does he unlock another altar? What do you think it's going to be? I suspect that we have not, because of the hints like the one you just mentioned from Arthur Harrow's office, plus the one that we had uh, discussed from a couple episodes back where um, Mark uh, is fighting the the Arthur Harrow's mm-hmm. like heavies in Egypt. And then all of a sudden he goes through the, uh, the, the switch where usually you would expect Stephen to take control here. But we just get black and we don't know who and the and the henchies have been taken out and it wasn't Mark and it wasn't Stephen. So who was it? We've got these mm-hmm. hints that there is another altar waiting to reveal to be revealed. And I feel like we're going to that feels like the other shoot a drop, all of which is to say I f- I can't imagine that we've seen the last of Stephen. Like, no, I don't know what it means that he 
quote unquote died in the sands of uh, Duat and was pulled under. But I feel like that altar is still going to be around. I don't know how they're going to get through that or how they're going to work that out. But it feels like other altars are still waiting to come out. I think so. And we've talked a lot about the the uh, Jeff Lemire, Greg Smallwood stuff, which is like Moon Knight Volume 8. Uh, and that stuff definitely deals with this concept of how do how does Mark come to a piece yeah. that accepts who he is? And that could be who he is alone or it could be who he is with the altars. And seeing as they established this notion that each of the altars has a different suit, I feel like that might turn into more of a classical superpower in the future mm-hmm. where it's like the older Moon Knight comics where he right. slips in and out. And while that is not a realistic representation, you know, of DID, yeah. I think that they they put their effort into doing this emotional episode this week and we might kind of see how Mark and Moon Knight transcend. It feels like a lot to wrap up in a final episode. So like I wonder if this is going to be amount. a Loki where they just announce a second season. Yeah, it feels like a tremendous amount to wrap up. Uh, uh, producer Saul, super producer Saul in the chat mentions how would they manage any Egyptology without Stephen? I think that's a good point. We that's still such have, a good point. Yeah, we still have Arthur Harrow and, and the Amit crisis to deal with. Oh, yeah. right? Arthur Harrow, <laughs> you know, Arthur Harrow is up there. Where's Layla? Yeah, I've Layla. <laughs> Arthur Harrow is up there legitimately like raining souls down into the afterlife before their time. So that has to be dealt with and Mark, with just his knowledge, is not going to be up to it now mm. in a post field of reads uh, uh, like reality. Is Mark slash Steven slash potentially Jake? Are they just like more much like the comic books? They they're still there. Those memories are still there. Those personalities, quote unquote, are still there in some kind of form or fashion. But the the the. Uh, the demarcations between them are more amorphous and they're more mm. more I mean, we legitimately saw like a balancing of scales. Maybe they they reside together in a more more or less healthy, quote unquote, way. Yeah. Is that what we see going forward? I think we could definitely see that. And I think that it will be really interesting to see the way they approach it, because this is something that comics and superhero shows have done before, like Legion and uh you know, uh, Doom Patrol really focused on it with Jane. So I'm really interested to see because I feel like they've established little things here that make you think you're going to need to see these characters again. One being that Steven is like a lot of people's favorite character. Yeah. And somebody that they connected with as their in character and who they feel represented by as kind of like a guy just trying to do the best in his life. So I think for him to never be there again and for it to just be kind of cold-hearted... I'm going to shoot some people, Mark. That doesn't seem likely to me. Yeah, and and quick couple other questions. How does he get back to Earth? I mean, it seemed like Tarawet could just send him. Like, she was not... Her objection was like, I would send you back to a body that is grievously wounded with a bunch of bullets in his chest, not, I can't do it. So I guess, theoretically, it wouldn't be that hard. You just have to find the right God to agree to do it, Right. Yeah, how how experimental is it going to be? Are we going to get an episode that leans into that Smallwood Lemire stuff where he's suddenly in all the bodies and he's kind of using them to go through? He's going to be Jake. He's going to be this to survive. Is it 
just as simple as Tara Wet sending him back. She's the goddess of children, of protection, of fertility. Maybe she can help mm. because the scales are balanced now. Uh, maybe Arthur Harrow will bring him back, like in some kind of Joker Batman situation where he needs Mark to see that yeah. he won, to see the truth of Konshu. You know, we we saw Layla's dad wearing the Scarlet Scarab robe. There's a chance that Layla with the Scarab or a different kind of artifact has the power to bring Mark back. I think from the pacing of this episode, we'll probably be, boom, right back in the real yeah. world next week. I, I think that that is probably the case. And I guess my my overarching question is like, does Moon Knight enter, like, do we get a season two and does he enter, like, larger stories? And then mm-hmm. as a kind of adjunct to that, I think we've both become, uh, like, I'm pretty convinced that this is the main MCU, right? This yeah. is this is where this is happening. The mention of the ancestral plane plus, like, some of the other, the other, the GCQ cues and, like, other things lead us to believe that, okay, this is the, the, the regular MCU. Another question which I think was like an interesting implication of Tarot mentioning the ancestral plane. Mm-hmm. How much do other deities know about other deities? Like yeah. we're, we're going to see in Love and Thunder Thor going to different places and meeting other gods and meeting the uh, the uh, the Greek gods. Uh, but I wonder how much they all know about each other. I wonder if that is the secret seed that Moon Knight is sowing. We've always been wondering, like, is Steven going to be in their main MCU? Is Mark, is Moon Knight? Yeah. Maybe, probably, maybe not. I don't know. Maybe what they're really sowing here is more of that God and deity backstory, those connections between the Ianad, between Bast and Sekhmet, who became the Panther and Lion Gods in Wakanda, between Tarawet, between Amit, between Anubis. And then it seems like it can't be a, a kind of coincidence that that is leading quite closely into love and thunder where we're going to meet i feel the, the same Greek way deities so maybe that is the bigger picture here because you know it's we love this stuff which is why we pick it apart yeah. so obviously the obvious questions are like arthur harrow has a power much bigger than the infinity gauntlet <laughs> right. and nobody's doing anything nobody's like, doing that, it where is everybody that's, <laughs> that's always funny to us but also in the comics we know the that time. there are times when someone's doing some multiversal destruction shenanigans and the only person you send is Hawkeye. So it happens, you know? <laughs> one of my favorite one of my favorite things about any comic book story is like the line in like a Wolverine or a Hawkeye or a Captain America or a Thor comic where it's like, where are the Avengers? Oh, they're busy. Yeah. Uh, they're, well, busy. yeah they're busy right now. <laughs> it's just like they're they're dealing with their own stuff. And then it'll be like, you know, a little uh, asterisk see Avengers, blah 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 for yeah, more. Yeah, yeah, two fifty six. Okay. Up next, our friend Cody Ziegler joins us and we talk comics. Okay, folks, we're stepping out of the airlock and into the comics quarter with our good friend, Cody Zig Ziggler. Yeah, uh, baby. Ca- get, please woo, pick woo, up woo, Cody woo. Ziggler, Justin Mason, <laughs> and Jim Charlin Pittis's Spider Punk number one, wherever you can find it, because it's sold out many, many places. Super, super fun. <laughs> 
Cody, thank you for joining us. Of course. Uh, and it's time to talk comics, man. Let's yes. talk about it. First of all, how have you been? What have you been up to? Uh, dude, I've been great. I've been uh, so incredibly busy, as I'm sure you can tell from my yeah. social media posts. Uh, I'm good. I'm currently uh, about to finish the season of Futurama, and I'm Woo! almost, almost, almost about to finish issue five of Spider-Punk. Uh, oh, as as I, That's right. So uh, as soon as I get through this little bit of Elden Ring, I'm going to go to my computer and finish this last issue, baby. That's that's oh, what's, on my, that's what's oh, on my docket. We got to know, where are you in the ring right now? What's going on uh, with the, you know where what? are you in the in the mission? Are you I, Elden Lord yet? I am not, but I have dethroned Margot the Fell King. Get him so, out of here. Um, he's out of there. So he's next, gone. Yeah, next is I got to... Next, I got to get to go find a giant in the snow. I don't know. Everyone is oh. whipping my ass right now. So Sounds I think I'm going to do some grinding to get, Let to, me get, tell you to, that, get to the mountain. Uh, the giant, no spoilers, that is a fight, my friend. Oh, boy. <laughs> and, and it's one of the fights where you're fighting the guy and you're like, man, I feel bad about having to kill this guy. But then you feel less bad because he just like whoops your ass so much. Anyway, oh, great. It, that's a fun fight. Enjoy that. Oh, thank um, you. Let's get into the comics then. Uh, the reason that we want to do this episode, one, is because we love talking about comics. And then two, we wanted to uh, – so we want to talk about the things that we're reading right now, the things we really like. And then uh, and then as a way to prepare people for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, talk about some of uh, the Doctor Strange-related comics that we think we might come up. But first, let's talk about what we're reading right now. Zig, what are you – what are you reading oh, right now, man? I have you can't see, but I have such a huge stack of stuff, so I'm just going <laughs> to oh suss through like my top three. I love this yeah. site. Uh, I yelled about this yesterday or the other day in our pre-pro meeting, but Gleam by Freddie Carrasco is a book that I picked up uh, a couple of a couple of months ago, um, and it's right up my alley. I actually haven't been reading a bunch of Cape stuff because I've just been in the Cape world for yeah <laughs> the past the past year. But if you're looking for like a fantastic like. Afrofuturism, black cyberpunk um, mm-hmm. story. I highly recommend this. He's a, a Canadian, black Canadian artist who I think lives and works in Japan uh, now. Uh, but it's a collection of three vignettes, three short stories uh, with a very, very, very loose through line. Um, but it's got some fantastic art, very, um, very um, loose from the hip with the actual story. So, like, you're looking for like some fantastic, like, um, sequential art and just following the action and the flow of stuff. And, like, just really for vibes only, I highly recommend <laughs> Gleam, G L E E M. Pick it up, yeah, please. That, that book is unbelievable. And when I had my first in-person meeting with Oliver Ono, who's doing the art for my Godzilla comic, that was one of the books uh, that he bought. Yes. And he was like, what do you think? And I was like, you know it. I was like, <laughs> you know it. Perfect transition to uh, to you, Rosie. Rosie Knight, mm-hmm. first of all, you got to tell us about your Godzilla yes. comic. What is going on with the Godzilla comic? When can we purchase this comic? <laughs> Okay, so that it is available for pre-order now. Yes. It was in this month's catalog. It, I have got a link on my Instagram bio where you can go and get all the information that you can give to your comic book shop. If you have a Penguin Random House account, you can also order it on their website. But you can just go to your shop and say the name of the comic. Oliver Ono is the... What is the name of the comic? Just so we all Godzilla, know. It's called Godzilla Rivals versus Batra. Mm-hmm. And that is because it is part of the ongoing rival series which features stories from the Godzilla movie Monster Universe and they're completely unconnected to the movies and they're just solo 40-page one-shot issues and mine is with Oliver who's an astonishing artist who is also inking coloring the whole book and it's really cool it's like classic Godzilla meets Studio Ghibli 
Oh, yes. Uh, oh, hello. Yes. Yeah, hello. Set in this, there's, like, hello. there's an entire page that's just cooking. There's, just a, there's at least one cooking it. page. I think we just I, added I, it to my pool list on the <laughs> website. Uh, uh, thank you. So you know yeah. I get Spider-Punk every month. Uh, <laughs> yes. what is your, uh, what's your relationship to Godzilla? Why Godzilla? Why this story? Like, what is, what, is, I, what spoke to you about Godzilla? I absolutely love Godzilla. I am sitting currently where I record my podcast where this podcast where there is one two three four five six seven seven <laughs> godzilla figures and a reclining silver surfer um i've always loved godzilla i have a baby godzilla tattoo manila um i remember watching them as a kid and here now like there's so many brilliant ways to revisit them whether you're watching them dubbed on like comet yeah. or whether you're mm. getting the criterion versions which are incredible mm -hmm. i think the stories that they have the same thing we love about comics where Godzilla comes from a space of being this incredibly important personal analogous story uh, about Japan and, and nuclear war and and the, the hazards of, of the nuclear bomb. And it has evolved and there's moments where it's totally wacky and outrageous, but it always has this ecological through line, which I just think is really powerful. And that's a big part of our story. Like it's set in England, but it was very much inspired by the area I live in on like the coast of LA, mm. LA city. And uh, there were just so many sewage spills here, like months, <laughs> yeah. just oh, every man. month, just mm. sewage spills, sewage spills, sewage spill. And it always happens in the area, which is mostly poor people, mostly black and brown people. That's mm. like that environmental kind of racism element. So bring in like those elements in and trying to imagine like a better world with cool people who want to change things, but also with like giant monsters yes. fighting. There's I lots of it. giant monsters fighting. It. Don't I worry. Oliver delivers on the giant monsters. <laughs> and then, Rosie, what are you reading right now? What is your first uh, recommendation for us? My first recommendation is this. Re I'm going to go. I'm going to follow Zig's lead. I'm going to go non-cape right now. Mm -hmm. um, there is this brilliant independent publisher called Black Jose Press, which I just love. I'll read anything from there. And they published this unbelievable collection of queer erotic comics called Arrive in My Hands. And even if you're like, oh, erotic, that sounds a bit... No, it's like the most beautiful, poetic, stunning work by Trinidad Escobar. And I pre-ordered the physical copies, which I think will be available soon, but there's a PDF version that's available. I just keep looking at it. Mm. It's like one <laughs> of those things where every time you look at it, you explore something new and it feels really transgressive and, and, and relatable and beautiful and the kind of thing where... I'm just, I'm so excited to show it to people and just be like, do you know people are making comics like this? Mm. Like this is, this is what you can be enjoying alongside the monsters fighting and the superheroes and everything. Mm. You can get these really personal, beautiful oh, yeah. comics made by brilliant marginalized creators. And Black Jose Press just does nonstop publications like that. It's one of my favorite publishers. And this book was just like, it even, I have high expectations of that publisher, but it totally overwhelm them i just that book is so good so 10 out of 10 recommendations yes that's awesome uh i will go cape because i've been caping uh the last <laughs> couple of weeks to to bone up for movies and stuff that are coming out and i was uh full disclosure never much of a hulk person when i first started mm -hmm. reading comics uh yeah. and despite the fact that like there was some really really you know, Mr. Fix-It era classic kind of like <laughs> classic like Hulk stories at that yeah. time. Love the pinsuit. Um, love the pinsuit. But I just was yeah. never much of a Hulk person. Like I'd check in for the big events, World War Hulk, you know, Planet mm -hmm. Hulk, et cetera. Those are, of course, good. But I was never like a 
I'm reading the Hulk now. Uh, Immortal Hulk changed, turned my head a lot uh, in ways that I was not expecting. And <laughs> the ongoing series, uh, the Hulk series with, by Donny Cates, Ryan Otley, Cliff Rathburn, and Frank Martin is really good and really interesting and takes... You know, it's always like, how do we redefine the relationship between Bruce Banner and the Hulk? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, yeah. it's constantly changing. What? How do we? How do we make it new and fresh? And this time, it's Bruce Banner is both like the main character and kind of the bad guy, which is I guess happened for a while. But he has turned the Hulk into like a pilotable. Like battleship, <laughs> like bio, yeah. bio yeah. battleship that, like Love a mech, that. like a mech suit that he is sitting like deep inside the psyche of the Hulk, piloting this Hulk around and having crazy fights and crazy adventures. Really, really good and really interesting. Um, the art is fantastic. I was gonna say Ryan Otley. Ryan like, Otley. Getting <laughs> Ryan Otley onto that big two stuff is just like it's just like oh, so gnarly and like biological and 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 the textures that he that he brings out are fantastic it's it's great and as a person who again has never really been much of a hulk person just hmm. like straight up throughout the course of my comics reading life has never been much of a hulk person until recently i'm really enjoying this book quite a bit you, you, um, you say you say mech hulk i'm already in like I'm yeah, already right? I'm like, hulk. yeah yeah <laughs> say less back to you zig what else uh, this is another non-cape comic, but Let's Marth Vallis by E P H K. It's a, uh, it's uh, you viewers can't or listeners can't see this, but it's a, it's, it's a, <laughs> I do it every time. Yeah, it's a quote-unquote silent comic. Um, in that there's words, but it's all gibberish, and it's just following mm. a um a fighter two fighter pilots that are fighting over Mars, and they 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 shoot each other down. They they just you know it's like an enemy mind situation where they help each other out. But Fuck yeah! If you're looking for some really really, he's a he is a uh, French artist, and if you're looking for some truly some of the most vivid, um, sequential art and just storytelling uh, out right now, I highly recommend this. Ooh, um, it's a it's a up. pocket sized graphic novel, 128 mm. pages, and it has. Like it, it, the use of like red and orange uh, is fantastic. Like it flows together. There's some really, really interesting panel layouts and uh, just the use of like language and in using a non-language to convey emotion and like some fantastic acting with the drawing. Like wow. check out Morris Marth Ballas uh, by E P H K. Shouts to uh, the enemy mind drop, which is a <laughs> really like forgotten sci-fi movie from the mm-hmm. 80s. It's starring, a gym. Starring Dennis Quaid and Louis Gossett Jr. Mm-hmm. as two, uh, uh, you know, uh, two <laughs> fighter See, pilots from, from opposing warring factions, humans versus, I forget the name of the alien species, but they then crash land on a desolate planet and have to like learn to live together. And it is like a heartbreaking story. Yeah, I, yeah, I'd never seen it until it was on broadcast a couple of years ago here, and I was just like, oh, my fucking God. <laughs> like, how has nobody told me about this? It is, like, I'm not even fucking around. Lou Gossett Jr. should have been Oscar nominated for that fucking role. He, I'm he not crushed, even, like, I'm, I'm not joking. <laughs> it is not a fucking joke. Like, in full makeup that must mm-hmm. have taken hours and hours mm-hmm. to get into. He is fully emotive, like, br- breaks your heart in a million fucking ways. He should have been Oscar nominated. It's an incredible movie. Find it if you can. Great movie, uh, <laughs> Enemy Mine. Uh, uh, Rosie, up next for you. 
Okay, okay, you flipped me. I was going to do a different, I'll do this one later, but I'll do one now because just talking about like really weird, deep sci-fi. So I I um, I um, re- I was revisiting Umbrella Academy mm. in the lead up to the third series. Yes. And I read Hotel Oblivion again, which was the third volume, which came out like eight years after the second volume, mm. uh, written by Jared Way with his collaborator artist, uh, Gabriel Barr, who is just so unreal. And if you want to get prepared for the third season, the introduction of the mysterious Sparrow Academy, kind of, then it's a great thing to read. But if you just want to read a really weird, <laughs> yeah. experimental sci-fi comic, which takes place in these two, it's like some people are trapped in this hotel. Is it really a hotel? Is it like a cosmic kind of void? Like you, And it's just Gabriel's art is so yeah. good mm. and and so much of umbrella academy is like the creative team's love for the x-men and for these yeah. stories this yeah. volume is is not really that this volume is balls to the wall bonkers un- i mean gabriel's art is like he's just a star like everything that he does is just beautiful but like i was so blown away rereading that book i was just like this is like no other superhero comic you know, it's Cape Comics, mm. but it's not. Mm-hmm. And that is just, it's such a great read anyway. And it's just a really easy volume. And there's so much fun to be had. But also, if you're, an, if you're excited about the new season or you want a primer, it works on that level as well. But I was, I read it for that reason. And I was just like, this is so weird in the best way. It really <laughs> delivered on what you want from that kind of Umbrella Academy stance. It was, it was great. What a... I think Jared Way might have the coolest second act, like of <laughs> of people that I can think of in terms of like going into a completely different lane and being really good at it. Of course, like his the as the lead vocalist of My Chemical Romance was extremely influential. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like the flip to to comics and Umbrella Academy, I remember at the time being like, yeah. Let's see. And then being like, oh, fuck, this is good. Shit. (laughs) He stuck the landing twice. Yeah, he did it twice, you motherfucker. His story arc is so unbelievable as well because he was like a Vertigo intern as a teenager. And it was like, is this going to work? And oh, okay, no, I'll go and start like the most famous emo like stadium rock band of, you know, the, the decade. But I'm staying friends with Jim Lee who loves this kind of music. And then kind of somehow you end up in this space where you create like one of not only one of the most successful indie comics, but then it becomes one of the biggest Netflix originals. <laughs> I know so many people who love Umbrella Academy who've never read a comic. Yeah. Yeah. They just yeah. love the show. It is mm. a true crossover success in that way. When we're back, more Comics Corner. We're back. So I'm going to go, listen, I've been on my, I'm going to go cape again. I've been on my X-Men slash mutant thing uh, (laughs) as they are transitioning into the uh, immortal X-Men slash uh, X-Men red phase. Shouts, what a come up for my mutant family. They were on the verge (laughs) of extinction. There was like less than 200 of them left. Now they're colonizing Mars. Look at us now. Look at us now, baby. Who would have thought we'd be here? (laughs) And... Kind of against all odds. I don't know if that's true. My favorite, I love my X-Men, but kind of my favorite like ongoing X-Solo title has been Marauders like the whole time. So uh, Steve Orlando, Eleonora Carlini, uh, Matt Miller uh, are 
they have just released Marauders number one. It's kind of like a reboot of the ongoing Marauders title, and it's super fun. I'm enjoying spending the time on the high seas with uh, Don't Call Her Kitty, Catherine Pride, <laughs> Lockheed, and the rest of the pirate crew. Uh, sailing from nation to nation, making sure that mutants can go to Krakoa if they so wish to do so. Uh, it's been really fun. Lots of fun shenanigans with, uh, with uh, you know, the, the Black King uh, uh, Shaw. Lots of stuff going on. It's If you want to get into, like, an X book that is not so wrapped up in a lot of the ongoing, like, X politics, mm-hmm. and it's kind of like, in my my read of it is kind of like the easiest to follow one. Like if you mm. want to drop into the X world and you're like, oh my God, do I have to do like House of X and Dawn of X mm. and all that stuff and get here? Yes and no. And you just want to pick it up and see what's going on. I would, Marauders number one is a great place to get on. And uh, the previous uh, Marauders ongoing before the renumber was just super straightforward, really fun, just like mutants on the high seas. <laughs> I think I think like one of the best things about the X titles at the moment is like they're additive. So you can read yeah. an X book and really yeah. enjoy it. But like if you've read every other X book, you're going to find even more to dig into and enjoy. So you can find the one you like, whether it's Hellions or Marauders, mm-hmm. Immortal X-Men. I thought it was brilliant. The first yes. issue like. And then if you've read it, you get in jokes and, and bits. But otherwise, like you can go back and add more onto it. And it kind of works in this lateral way that I think is really cool for a, a wide line of comics. Shouts to uh, Mr. Sinister going evil once again. <laughs> he's been played for laughs uh, in Hellions. But for... I like, he, he stayed I, sassy in Mortal X-Men. Yeah. He's he stayed in, sassy. He's been incredibly sassy over the last uh, year and a half, two years, and now in Immortal X-Men. My guy is taking that heel turn, but still, still snapping on people, which I love. <laughs> that um, first issue of Immortal X-Men has one of my all-time recent fave lettering uses where they i think it's clayton cows who letters that book but i'll double check but um he goes he he does like a what and the what is like just huge (laughs) but when you read it in the context of the joke where he's trying to act surprised and at the bottom it says like was that too much it's so funny (laughs) i've reread it multiple times and it's made me laugh out loud like the the we all know this and we talked about tom muller's amazing production design but the the intricacies and detail and of quality that they're putting in at every yeah. level on those books mm. is very good. Zig, you're up. Uh, all right. So I'm, I'm off my art shit and onto like a more traditional comic. Uh, a Righteous Thirst from Vengeance out of Ooh, Image. Oh, yes. Yeah. If, yes. If, you're looking, if you're looking for a nice slow burn act thriller c- comic, um, I highly recommend it. If you're a fan of like uh, History of Violence or yeah. Green Room or Blue Ruin, like those sort of like gritty grounded uh, also, bizarrely hyper-violent um, action thrillers. I highly recommend uh, a thirst uh, for for ve- a righteous thirst for vengeance. And also, I defy you to read this and not picture Benedict Wong <laughs> as the lead. I mean, I mean the cover, the I cover. Know, I was like, is it Benedict Wong? It's just Benedict Wong. It's just Benedict Wong on the cover. Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, Rosie. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna go the I'm gonna go the other direction. If you've read A Righteous Thirst for Vengeance and you're like, I need something really chill, like a slice <laughs> of life. Um, one of my favorite comics of all time, and probably my favorite living cartoonist, uh, Rumiko Takahashi, who is behind Inuyasha, Lum, basically mm. any favorite anime or manga mm-hmm. that you read as a teen. Uh, 
Romiko was probably behind it. And she has this unbelievable slice of life book called Maze and a Cuckoo that's about a young widow who takes over an eclectic boarding house. And it is like the funniest, sauciest, silliest slapstick. Every single page, there's something that will make you want to get a tattoo. Because Romiko is stunning. She's stunning at like figure work and watercolors and they and Viz is currently doing beautiful reprints. I think they're up to volume seven now. But she's also really good at a gag face. So if you love like Sailor Moon and you love when in the back you see like they got the little silly gag faces, Romiko just mm. has that down pat. It's it's a romance. It's really thoughtful about grief. But it's also like Romiko is a very saucy cartoonist. Like she created Lum, who is like the sexy blue haired alien with the leopard print bikini. There's just, there's so much fun to be had. And this is like the Viz reprints that they're doing of this, a bunch of other Romiko stuff. They did Mermaid Saga. They're also doing Fist of the North Star ones that are beautiful. Mm-hmm. They're the kind of books that make you want to reread them. Like the the versions they're doing are so beautiful. So yeah, Maze Cuckoo, I love this comic. I want everyone to read it. I want Viz to re-release the live action 80s adaptation <laughs> series that they made of it, <laughs> which uh, has never been re-released. I need to see that. So everyone go and read this. So Viz will, will man, publish that. Every time we do one of these episodes, my bank account is just has a I stranglehold. Pain. It's, it's, I know. It's, the it's same. pain, dude. Uh, same for me. Okay. Uh, my f- This is really hard. But... So I've been uh, I've been very active on my uh, Marvel Unlimited, digging through the stacks. <laughs> I've been le- I've been reading a lot of West Coast Avengers just to you know catch mm-hmm. the vibe and remember what that was like. Um, and they recently released um, all of the X Deaths of Wolverine uh, series on there. And you know what? As a as a recovering Wolverine Logan head. <laughs> uh, Everyone our age was. He was, was in two hundred comics. A huge, yeah. lo- you know. I was like, as a kid, that was it. Lo- uh, I was a Logan head. I'd run around and wonder, man, what would be? How cool would it be to have like little metal claws come out of my knuckles and like have <laughs> it unbreakable hurts bones every time? Every Jason. time. I'm the best there is at what I do, but what I do isn't very nice. And it's read <laughs> comics all the time. I think that excess uh, Wolverine is super fun. It's super fun. It's like uh, it's. Again, a kind of thing that gives you a lot of sprinklings of ongoing uh, events, uh, you know, post-Krakoa events uh, in mutantdom. But it's a Wolverine story that takes you on a kind of uh, time-traveling, a swashbuckling tour of Wolverine's life as he... uh, It's like basically Terminator. Wolverine Mm -hmm. goes back through the timelines trying to stop Omega Red from killing <laughs> Professor X sometime in the past. And it you know what? Drama. It happens. <laughs> yeah. It happens it all happens. the time. <laughs> it happens. It happens to the best Relatable. of Relatable. Yeah. yeah. And it's, uh, Omega Red has developed this new thing where he can, you know, touch uh, someone and basically uh, possess them, which is a problem. And so Wolverine's got to go back through his old bodies. Now he's young yep. Wolverine. Now he's Patch. Now he's a different version of him. Now he's Weapon X Wolverine. Now he's Wolverine... Uh, you know, lurking in the uh, Central American jungles with Sabretooth <laughs> and that other weird guy he used to hang around with, Maverick. Uh, and <laughs> I got to tell you, I'm having a good time. I'm having a good time reading it. I don't know what to tell you. That that has been our uh, comics recommendations. Let's dive into stuff uh, that we think uh, might be useful for people to talk about, to read um, as Dr. Strange approaches 
Um, first one on this list, which Rosie and I were talking about, I wonder if you've read it, um, Zig, is Doctor Strange, Doctor Doom, Triumph and Torment, written by Roger Stern with pencils and covers by Mike Mignola and Mark Badger. And it's like, what? Mike Mignola doing Doctor Strange and Doctor yeah. Doom? I love it. And it's a great one-shot story that really lets you into how thirsty Dr. Doom is for magic, man. <laughs> this guy- He loves magic. He loves tempting it. He loves tempting <laughs> the magic. Habitual line step on. <laughs> yeah, he yeah. loves going over the line with, like, if you thought Dr. Strange pushed it mm, mm, with mm. the spells, with the crossing the line, with the, like, books he shouldn't read, but he's going to go ahead and read them because he needs to do <laughs> Dr. Doom is even more of that. Uh, and, you know, Mignola is Mignola. It's super fun. Uh, Mephisto is there. That is uh, that would be my first recommendation for uh, something that is like easily easy to pick up. You don't need to know a lot if you wanted to pick it up and read it. Um, uh, any of y'all have any 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 recommendations along those lines? I, I've got one. But another thing I think is really good about that piece is like it really specifically centers on like Dr. Doom's mom which is like yeah. a weird thing they were obsessed with in the 80s and 90s yeah. because in <laughs> some of the Moon Knight stuff where shock horror Dr. Doom appears, it's yeah. all to do with his mom. Yeah. Like this guy has mother issues and they were being explored. So who knows, is that going to come into it in the MCU? I don't know, but it seems interesting and connected. So I, um, I first of all as well, I always think it's so funny when you, even as people who've been reading these comics however long, like decades or whatever, Whenever we find a Mike Mignola Big Two comic, you're like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. so like, it's so great. He did Batman. <laughs> he did Batman. <laughs> like, okay, <laughs> pick it up. Add to cart. Bye. Yeah. Right? It's like, it's happening. <laughs> but um, my, I'm going to go newer. Yeah. Um, I was, I, I kind of read like the first issue of this um, series, The Death of Doctor Strange, but I recently mm. read the whole thing. The five issue collection is out now. Jeb McKay, Pencils by Lee Garbutt. Kari Andrews does great covers. This is like, such a fun book. Yeah, it was really it's, fun. The yeah. idea is like Doctor Strange is going to die. He gets killed. Who did it? And he Who gets to it? kind of like, we have to work out what happened and it's timey-wimey. But the <laughs> art is like so cartoony yeah. and beautiful and fun. And there's like cute animal characters. And I feel like, you know, Zig, no comment from you here. Yes. You know, no in, inside you know, business, yeah. yeah. But I feel like one of my favorite things to talk about is how Marvel seeds stuff. It yeah. felt comics very that, seedy. That, that <laughs> they, want very to, they want people to necessarily conceptualize or, or come to terms with or become familiar with. And this feels like one of those comics where I'm yeah. like, one, it's a fun superhero romp, but two, have a read. Yeah. See how it might see, see how it might impact Doctor Strange too. Yeah, yeah. You might be happy. Yeah, I, I definitely feel that same way. Uh, whether or not that's what the book that I'm currently writing, I think that's also the same energy. Uh, right? Yeah yeah. 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 And also, Jed's a fantastic, fantastic writer. Yeah. 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 It, this book is so fun. Yeah. He's such a f fucking fun, fun writer. Uh, we should add one of the, I, I think one of the things that really felt like, oh, we're seeding this is so part of this is not a spoiler, but, you know, Doctor Strange is murdered. Who did it? And of course, Doctor Strange has a. Uh, you know, protocol in place should he die <laughs> mm -hmm. by mysterious means. And that protocol is to, like, activate an earlier, much more aggressive, much more line-steppy version of himself, pluck that <laughs> version out of whatever timeline it's in, and bring him the, bring them to the present to figure it out. Yeah, to do, like, uh, a Sherlock-y-esque yes. like, experience. <laughs> so let's just say, 
seems like could be influential. Yeah. I, 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 I feel that it could be. Ziggy, you have anything? Uh, yeah, I, I was really torn, but I think I'm going to go with Hickman's New Avengers run. Time oh, time runs out. Um, oh, yeah. Yep. Uh, I, I mean, I think anyone could tell from the trailers that the Illuminati is going to be in this. And, like, the Illuminati yeah. is such a big part of, of Doctor Strange's uh, uh, current origin, or at least his modern, like, the last 10 years origin. Uh, and if you're really looking for, like, just a really fun four-issue run, like or five-issue run to jump in, I think it's it's 16 through 21 of, of Hickman's New Avengers. It introduces one of my absolute favorite characters, Sun God. He's just a oh, Superman yeah. pastiche. There's yeah. a fantastic fight between him and Hulk. That when I was read it when I was like 27 was the hypest shit I ever read. <laughs> uh, at 27, I was turning up. I was quoting it. I had the pictures on my Tumblr, like I was taking, scanning them on there. It's a really great entry for that. And I'm, I'm, I'm just from the trailer. I'm assuming they're going to be doing some fun yeah. Illuminati um, underhandedness, and I hope that they get some fun big, big action fight scenes like that in there. That is yeah, a, I think, a monumental yeah, run. Great run. Sorry, go ahead, yeah. Rosie. No, and I think it, it makes a lot of sense because it leads into like one of the things that we talk about a lot, which is Secret Wars mm-hmm. and yeah. how that seems like yeah. the future of the MCU and and there's Doctor Doom elements, you know, God Emperor Doom, all that kind of stuff. So I think I think that's a brilliant pick and also what? just fun. One of my uh, uh, favorite parts of that Time Runs Out run is the uh, war between Atlantis and Wakanda, which yeah. feels like feels like feels CD. like something you need to you need to pay attention to and that was a thing that absolutely grabbed me by the collar when i was reading yeah. I was like oh some of the twists and turns in that like ongoing struggle are like man you can't believe what happens great yeah. great great run i will pick uh house of m for mine uh the 2005 uh, uh, a limited series, Brian Michael Bendis, pencils by the the great Oliver Coipel, uh, oh, covers by mm. the great Isad Ribich, <laughs> uh, and eight core issues. You can stick to those, but there are lots of tie-ins that spread out, uh, you know, across different titles. But the basic uh, uh, plot is uh, Wanda is just so heartsick over the struggles that mutants have had to go through over the generations and the years and them being oppressed and and uh, through fits and starts like uh, all the attempted genocides that have happened over the course of of time and she's like forget it that's enough i want to please uh, my mutant family uh, magneto and quicksilver and i want to i want to heal uh, mutantdom and so i'm going to create a world in which Mutants reign. Mutants mm. are the main uh, force in the world, and there are like non-powered people, but they're they're a vast minority. And mutants run the world. Uh, and I feel like this is going to be. You know, we've talked about it before on this pod, but I feel there's like there's a reason it comes up a lot. Like, <laughs> there's a reason it comes up a lot, right? And it feels like, listen, we're waiting for mutants to come into the MCU. Mm-hmm. Wanda is growing more and more powerful with the ability, as we have seen over the course of WandaVision, to alter reality in, in really, like, drastic ways. And we know that the uh, at least some part of Doctor Strange and the, and the Multiverse of Madness involves Strange going to a place where other powered people exist, which is how we get America Chavez. And we also know that, like, man, you hear the voice of Patrick Stewart in that fucking trailer. (laughs) (laughs) Someone somewhere exists. Yeah, yeah, he was like, he was basically saying, you mix it with magic, isn't it? Like, it's really hard. (laughs) You could not distinguish. Like, there's no hiding who that was. 
and so it's a really, really fun story. Uh, highly recommend it. My guy Wolverine, again, if you're a Wolverine head, he does some, he makes some things happen in this. Uh, <laughs> he's doing some stuff. He's doing yeah. some he's got stuff a memory. in this. Yeah, that yeah. man has a memory. He always it's does. Like, he always listen, knows. when it's just like normal life, he can't remember anything about what he used to do, but when he gets <laughs> transported to another like timeline he's or dimension, like, all of a sudden he can't forget <laughs> what happened in the previous world. Anyway, uh, and Rosie, do you have anything uh, else? Yeah, I got one more, but I, I also just want to say, like, this leads to my favorite theory that I, I, it like pops up every so often on Reddit. I've seen it on TikTok, which is the MCU as it exists is the No More Mutants universe <laughs> post Wanda creating the House of M. I love that. Uh, it's never going to happen. Yeah. Every time yeah. I think about it, I am just like, that is so efficient. And it is so effective. And, you know, I think the trailer where we see Charles and everyone, and he says, you know, it's time to tell him the truth. Yeah. Everyone's like, oh, the truth is, you know, mutants exist outside this world. And uh, yeah, I think House of M, like, there's so much good stuff there because people get to live their dream lives. Like, Peter is happy. Yeah. And then you yeah. have this choice of, like, having to give it up. Um, yeah, I think another really good one, which is really new, uh, is Captain Carter. Jamie McKelvey, icon. Yes. Uh, Can't go wrong with Marika Jamie McKelvey. Cresta, yeah. new, newer, art, newer artist on that, doing some really dynamic stuff. And if you enjoyed the first issue episode of What If, if you want to know more about Captain Carter, who mm. we think is probably going to show up in Doctor Strange 2, then this is a great place to go. It's got political intrigue. It's got anti-fascist tendencies. It's got really, 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 really cool character work for Captain Carter, it introduces a different version of Peggy that we've never seen. And I think this is, again, seeding. Do I think they're going to adapt Jamie's story? I wish they would. Probably not going to happen. But is there a reason that there's a Captain Carter comic that you can buy right now that's going to be out during Doctor Strange 2? I believe so. So yeah, this is a, this is a really good one. Uh, Zig? Uh, you know, last one, I'm glad that no one else covered it, but Marvel Zombies was, it was, it was honestly between this and World War Hulk is what got me into Marvel comics proper. Like I was a huge, obviously I was a huge Walking Dead fan. I was a huge uh, horror fan in general, but uh, Marvel Zombies, I I mean, they've already done the what if episode and I feel like it seemed such a a fun universe for Marvel to tap into in the live action space. Like it would be crazy if you don't just see like zombie Wanda for like, you know, a split second, like Marvel, you know, strange does his gang signs and you see your pop up in the back corner or whatever. For <laughs> we a, see a, a zombie-ish, like, yeah. strange. And this is Sam Raimi. This is the yeah. king of zombies. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's a run. That's a killer run. Uh, absolutely love these wrecks. Uh, hope they are helpful to people. Uh, check out the show notes for any of the stuff that you missed through the run of the show. Uh, we'll have everything listed there. Up next, Nerd Out. <laughs> In today's Nerd Out, where you tell us what you love and why, Alice pitches us on a musical theater company called Starkid Productions, a.k.a. Team Starkid. Hi, X-Ray Vision team. My name is Alice, and um, for my Nerd Out, I would like to submit a musical theater company called Starkid Productions, or better known as Team Starkid. So I discovered Team Starkid over 10 years ago through another fandom that I was in, which was for the TV show Glee. And when it was announced that Darren Chris would be joining the show, I decided to check out his previous work and I stumbled onto um, Team Starkid. And because I was also a huge Harry Potter fan, um, the first thing I watched was their Harry Potter parody, which was a very Potter musical. 
And I completely fell in love with the writing and the humor and the songs. And a year later, I then went to Chicago to see their newest show, Starship, which was a sci-fi musical parody. And they were just as great live as I had seen on YouTube, basically. Um, And so why I think you should get into it is that they've created so many wonderful parody musicals about such a wide array of pop culture phenomena, including Star Wars, Harry Potter, superheroes, and even most recently, A Christmas Carol. And I think the X-Ray Vision listeners and the X-Ray Vision team would really love the heartfelt way in which they pay tribute to these universes. And I think you would particularly like the little Easter eggs and the little inside jokes that they throw in for the people who know that particular material well. Their shows are done by fans for fans because everyone involved in Team Starkid themselves is a is a nerd and you can really tell that they love the source material by the effort that they put into the writing and the music and the performances and it's really lovely and you can tell that they really genuinely love the shows and the movies and the comics or whatever other source material that they are drawing from. And the music and the writing and the performances are amazing, of course. But really the best part is that with every show they create, you either get to experience a new fandom if you're not familiar with the source material or you get to appreciate a fandom that you're already a part of all over again and with a new point of view through their awesome songs. So I'm not sure what they have planned at the moment because of Corona, but uh, for Nerd Out listeners, I would recommend checking out a Harry Potter musical, Annie, which is their Star Wars parody musical, um, or Holy Musical Batman, which is their superhero show. And you can find all of those on YouTube at Team Star Kid, or you get more info about their project on their website, teamstarkid.com. All right, that's it for me. I hope you enjoy Team Star Kid. Thanks. Bye. Thanks, Alice, for submitting. If you want to be featured, send your nerd out pitch to x-ray at crooked.com. Instructions are in the show notes. A big thank you to Rosie Knight and Cody Zig Ziglar for joining us on X-Ray. Zig, what do you got to plug, my guy? Tell us everything. (laughs) You know, if you're a fan of comic books, which I think you are for listening to this podcast, uh, check out, you know, a Spider-Punk number one. There we go, baby. Uh, number two, I think, comes out the 18th of May. Don't quote me on that. Unless it's true, then quote me all you want to. Uh, and I believe My- What If Miles Morales number five comes out May yeah, too, but I may be wrong. Go. But if not, check them all out because they're all fucking fantastic. Like I just read What If Miles Was Thor, and it is the coolest shit I've ever <laughs> it read. It's really like, fun. Shout out to, fun. to that, right? It's, it's the dopest, blackest shit I've ever seen. You got to check that out. It's so fucking clean. Uh, Rosie. Plugs. What are you plugging? Plug I'm Godzilla again. Just I'm going to plug again. Godzilla yeah. again, but first I will plug Spider Punk. Like I, when I read that, oh, issue, it's so fun. I it's super fun. yell. Like <laughs> one, it's amazing. It's brilliant. Justin's art. Oh my god. Jim's letters. I was dying. Cody's writing. It's fantastic. That is like one of the best number ones I've read in such a long time. Oh, thank you, man. Same. I agree. If you are of a certain age, you're you're a millennial or whatever they call us. You grew up in the zeros. You were dancing to a, a misfit song in a dive bar. You have some questionable tattoos. You will be screaming. This is a true punk book on every level. I love it. I tell everyone to read it. It's so good. And Jim's lettering is like, I can't get over it. It's it's some of the so best good. best modern co- comic book lettering, and it adds so much. The final page 
Splash. That's what I was going to say. 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 That final page hook, that tease on the final page, uh, final splash page is like, oh, shit. I guess I'm adding this to the Who wants to give me the the, the full, like, back piece tattoo of that final thing with the letters and the quotes? Oh, man. It's so good. It's really, really good. So, yes, it's really good. Spider-Punk is very good. Obviously, what if Mars Morales? Every Mars Morales should be every character. So I hundred exactly. percent back that. <laughs> Thank um, you. Yeah, Godzilla. It's it's pre-orderable now. It should be coming out in August. So that's the nature of comics. You pre-order them now. It will be in your shop then. Mm-hmm. Um, we will likely be doing some cool signings and stuff like that. So keep an ear out for that stuff. Uh, you can find me on Instagram. That's where I am. And just doing all this, doing this, writing about comics, writing about TV shows, and just talking about all this cool stuff. It's it's a good life. (laughs) I can't complain. (laughs) Check out our videos on the Uncultured YouTube channel and the show notes for the Listener's Guide to X-Ray Vision, where we provide more details on where to find the stuff that we talk about on every episode. Check the next episode on May 6th, where we're going to find out if... All the theories that we have been spouting over the weeks about Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness are indeed correct. If they are, we're going to talk about it more. If they're not, that's the nature of the business, folks. <laughs> that's Catch the, us that's next the, time. Wait, maybe. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> X-Ray Vision is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Chris Lord and Saul Rubin. The show is executive produced by myself and Sandy Gerard. Our editing and sound design is by Vasilis Fotopoulos. Dellen Villanueva and Matt DeGroote provide video production support. And Alex Relaford handles social media. Thank you, Brian Vasquez, for our theme music. Bye. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.